What's up, everybody? I hope we're having a fantastic Saturday. My name is Keith Jacobs, uh, and this is my show, Crazy Opinionated. Maybe not the opinion that you want to hear, but the opinion that you need to hear. It's plain and simple, guys. We talk about all the biggest sports topics. We break them down for you. And straight up, I just give you my brutal, honest opinion. That's just how I am with sports. I'm very objective, and I'm very honest. If you don't like it, that's okay. But we're going to get right into it. Uh, so let's start with the NBA Finals. Obviously, um, I, I could honestly say, I don't know about you guys, but I can honestly say that I found myself rooting for the Toronto Raptors. And it's not even just because of the fact that Golden State's dynasty was dying. Like, obviously, that's a big, that's a big plus for me. Um, I never really liked the way that was set up where, you know, Draymond's in the parking lot calling KD. It's already a team that won 73 games. And you know, now you bring on KD and, and look, there was a lot of injuries with Golden State. And listen, Toronto's a great team. I'm not going to act like they're not, but here's my thing. I feel like with this, with this finals, that this is going to get thought about the wrong way. And the reason why I say that is because I feel like this is going to be one of those finals that's going to be thought about as, not as, oh my God, Toronto won their first championship, but as... What, what if Golden State was healthy? This is going to be one of those championships where the winner, I feel like, in legacy terms, is not going to be thought about first. It's not going to be the first thought. And let me just give you an example. So in 2011, uh, the Dallas Mavericks beat the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. And what a lot of people forget about that Mavericks team is that it was a very, very good team. They won 57 games. Uh, they were the three seed in the West going into the playoffs. Dirk Nowitzki was still in his prime, relatively speaking. And they had a really, really solid team. Good veterans. J.J. Barea. Uh, Jason Terry. Jason Kidd. Um, you know, they, and a really, really good coach in Rick Carlisle. But if you remember, a lot of what happened after the Mavericks won the NBA Finals had nothing to do with the Mavericks outside of Dallas. What happened with that finals was a lot of people were just looking at the Miami Heat. A lot of people were disappointed in the Miami Heat. And especially LeBron James. LeBron James averaged 17.8 points per game in that series. That was third on his own team. And at the time, a lot of people considered LeBron James the best player in the world. I know I did at that time. And the main storyline of that finals was... Wow, the Heat were just so disappointing. That's really sad. The way that they just did not step up after we heard all of this talk and all this vibrato about, you know, y'all remember, y'all remember, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. Y'all remember that. LeBron proclaiming at the big opening ceremony, that big party that they threw uh, in Miami when they first introduced the big three. And Dallas was a really good team, but nobody could really think about Dallas. Everybody could just think about the disappointment that was Miami Heat, the Miami Heat, but also LeBron James. LeBron James did not play well for the most part in that series. He really didn't, and it was a shame. And it's also a shame in this sense because I feel like 
what the Raptors are going to be looked at as the team that dethroned the Warriors, the Hurt Warriors, not the regular Warriors. Because I feel, let, let's be completely honest with ourselves. If Boogie's playing at 100%, KD doesn't get hurt, Clay doesn't tear his ACL at, game, at the end of game six. And mind you, he also popped his hammy earlier in that series. So from the beginning, he was playing with a hamstring injury. Um, Kevon Looney was dealing with was dealing with a major injury as well. Does this series look different? I think it does. I think this series looked different. And look, I'm not trying to discredit Toronto whatsoever. I love Kawhi Leonard. I think Nick Nurse is an excellent NBA head coach. Kyle Lowry really stepped up in Game Six. It was awesome. Toronto's a a really good team. I'm not taking anything away from them. All I'm saying is I don't want this NBA Finals to be looked at as a health issue for the Warriors as opposed to Toronto is just a really good basketball team. Because Toronto is a really good basketball team. I mean, look at all the different contributions they had. Fred Van Vliet was atrocious early on in the playoffs. In fact, there was a good portion of time right before his wife had the child where he was shooting in single digits in three-point percentage. Single digits. And then all of a sudden, he's dropping 22 points in the NBA Finals, becomes one of their key three-point shooters, in fact, became a second-half starter for Nick Nurse in the NBA Finals. Like, that's so dope to me. That's so cool. So I just feel, I, I just really want people to understand that Toronto is just a really good team. They really are. But I also want people to understand as well, there's a good possibility that this series is different if the Warriors are fully healthy. It, there, there's a good shot of that. There really is. Uh, So let's move on to the next NBA thing. Um, So Kyrie Irving is probably going to go to the Brooklyn Nets. You know, he he grew up in West Orange, New Jersey. Um, Nets fan from the time he was a kid. And the reason that I know that this has solidified him going to the Brooklyn Nets is because he signed with Rock Nation. And whose agency is Rock Nation. Jay-Z. Who's an owner of the Brooklyn Nets? Jay-Z. Yeah, the star, it's all lining up. It's all lining up. But I gotta be completely honest. Not really a huge fan of the move. I'm really not. And look, you could sit here and argue and say, well, the Knicks roster is not very good. They're probably not getting KD. This is just my personal opinion. I think KD is going to sign to Supermax and stay with and stay with Golden State. I would take the guaranteed money if I was him. That's just my personal opinion. And I don't think they're going to get AD, Anthony Davis, because the assets that the Lakers have are just better. They just are. And listen, if I'm David Griffin and I really value RJ Barrett that much, then trade him. You can get the number three pick out of it. But I don't think the Knicks are going to get... I don't think the Knicks are going to get him. 
And then you could also argue, well, why in the world would he want to team up with LeBron again in Los Angeles when, you know, the whole point of him going to the Celtics was to be the guy? Well, did you see how he handled it this year? Being the guy? It was horrible. It was, it was by, by Boston Celtics standards with that roster, that coach, it was, and in that conference, which is very top heavy, was a disaster. The chemistry was terrible. Kyrie, especially in the playoffs, was incredibly inconsistent. And ultimately, you could just look at the body language for Kyrie. Moping around. You know, he just did not look engaged. He didn't look engaged. So my question to you is, isn't he doing the same exact thing by going to the Brooklyn Nets? I want you to think about this for a second. So there's a good shot that D'Angelo Russell is leaving. Which, I, you know, would make sense. Since you're signing another guy, a superstar at his position. It makes sense. But think about the Brooklyn Nets. They're a young, up-and-coming team. They're young. If you don't believe me, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, four years in the league. Young dude. Alan Crabb, six years in the league. That's like bordering on a veteran. I usually consider a veteran seven, eight years. Probably about eight. Karis LeVert, three years in the league. Spencer Dinwiddie, five years in the league. Jared Allen, two years in the league. Joe Harris, five years in the league. Shabazz Napier, five years in the league. They only really have a couple of veterans on this team. Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, and Damari Carroll. Other than that, pretty much everybody on this roster has played six years or less in the NBA. And their head coach, who I think is a good head coach, Kenny Atkinson, I think he's a good head coach. I don't think he gets enough credit because he's chilling there in Brooklyn. He led that team to a sixth seed. And a lot of people really genuinely thought that the Brooklyn Nets had a chance at beating the Philadelphia 76ers. I was not one of those people. But a lot of people did think that. But look at the... I just line up the similarities here. Boston's roster. Young with a couple of veterans. Brooklyn's roster. Young with a couple of veterans. Boston Celtics. Relatively young NBA coach in Brad Stevens. Now, albeit, Brad Stevens is an unbelievable coach. But he's relatively young. Kenny Atkinson. He's not like a young dude, but he's young as far as coaching experience goes. Kenny Atkinson is 52 years old for the record. He's not a young guy. He's been coaching for a minute. He was an assistant coach for four or five years or so with the Atlanta Hawks before he took the Brooklyn Nets job in 2016. But this was only his third year as head coach. So he's a young coach. It's a young team with a relatively young experienced coach I just mean that by experience why is this in any different situation if anything it's a worse situation I just mean in terms of roster construction I'm not trying to diss the Brooklyn Nets here I like the Brooklyn Nets I think they're going in the right direction but to me unless he is able to get another star which I'm not 100% sure he will Katie's not going to Brooklyn 
Kawhi, I think, is staying in Toronto or going to the Clippers. I think Jimmy Butler's probably going to the Lakers. You know? So who else are you going to get? You're not getting Clay, And even if he did, he's not going to play. What, are you going to sign Kemba Walker? What, do you need two point guards? Tobias Harris I could see. But Tobias Harris is not a game changer by any stretch of the imagination. Tobias Harris, for the most part, looked lost when he's with the Philadelphia 76ers. They had no consistently good way of using him. So to me right now, I, I just don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. What I do get is I understand the appeal of playing for the team that you rooted for when you were younger. I totally get that. Like, that's okay. The sentimental side of it for me, like, I totally understand that. But from a basketball perspective, I just don't really get it. I don't get it. I don't know. To me, it just, to me, it just seems like it seems a little counterproductive. It seems like a step back. But that's just my personal opinion. And once again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to shade the Brooklyn Nets. Look, maybe they will get, maybe they will get another guy to go there. They certainly got the cap space. It's fairly appealing. It's a young roster. They did pretty good this year. You get Kyrie there. I love D'Angelo Russell. I love deloading. But I'd rather have Kyrie than deloading. And if he can lure one other star there, they could be interesting. But I don't know, man. If they if they end up this offseason, Brooklyn, just getting Kyrie and Kyrie alone, to me it just seems like a waste of time. And also there's this there's this idea that was thrown out there that the Nets could really try to pursue Anthony Davis. I don't think that's going to happen. And it's not because they don't want to. I just feel like compared to teams like the Lakers, the Boston Celtics even, who would only get him for a one-year rental, those two teams to me, and even the Knicks, and this is just strictly based off of the fact that they have the number three pick, which will probably be R.J. Barrett. I feel like those three teams have better assets. And you'll have to trade your best two assets. My guess is if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I'd probably have to trade Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. Maybe even Jared Allen. Any combination of those three would have to be thrown into a trade. And to me, that's not appealing. Because I need those three. So I don't know. That's just, that, that's just my personal that's just my thing about Kyrie. I just feel like, to me, it's a step back. It's almost essentially the same exact thing that he was doing in Boston. And he hated being the man in Boston. What makes you think he's going to like being the man even more in Brooklyn? This is why I think he should go play with LeBron. Because when you go play with LeBron, just take a back seat, bro. You're just balling. LeBron's taking care of all the media stuff. He's taking care of all the, the leadership stuff. The limelight is on LeBron. All you got to do is just sit back and ball. How'd that work out for you in Cleveland? You won a championship, didn't you? Yeah, man. You hit one of the most iconic late-game shots in the history of the NBA. In the history of the NBA Finals. Just something to think about. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so I want to move on. I want to move on to baseball now. And um, I want to move on to a topic that really bothers me. A lot. Um, so I play college baseball. I'm a pitcher. And um, one thing I understand 
is you always just got to go out there and do your job. Your job is not only to be effective and get outs, but your job is to, especially if you, especially if you're a big time guy, is to shut the other team up, shut them down. Don't give them any reason to celebrate. Don't give them any reason for anything at all. Your job is to go out there, get outs and shut them down. Be competitive. That's really all it is. And there's nothing that pisses me off more in Major League Baseball that when, than when pitchers get mad at hitters for bat flipping. There is nothing that bothers me more on this earth than when pitchers get mad for bat flipping. The most recent example of this, Madison Bumgarner had a, had a temper tantrum over Max Muncie bat flipping in San Francisco. So Max Muncie hits an absolute nuke off of Madison Baumgartner. Lands in McCovey Cove. And he bat flips. Now me, I have no problem with this. But Madison Baumgartner is a child and decides to just start screaming at, at Max Muncie. There was, a, there was another situation also earlier in the year. Um, Cincinnati Reds, Pittsburgh Pirates. Derek Dietrich bat flips off of Chris Archer. And when I tell you that this bat flip was one of the most disrespectful things that I've ever seen, like, oh my God, like, wow, it was so savage. And I have no problem with this, but Chris Archer and the Pirates took exception and there ended up being a brawl that same day. And, um, and of course, obviously there's been the history with Bumgarner and Yasiel Puig that's been documented. Here's my thing though. Hitting a baseball is hard, dude. Everybody listening to me right now, I want you to blink. That's how much time you have to react to a 90 mile an hour fastball. Even less time than that for guys who are throwing 95 plus. It's basically on average less than a blink of an eye. Hitting a baseball is hard, dude. So when these guys do something, when these hitters do something that is supposed to be one of the most impossible feats to do in sports... Hell, it's so hard that you, you're successful 30% of the time you make the Hall of Fame. Like, that's crazy. And it's so hard. So when these guys do it, when these guys hit a baseball a long way, they have every right to celebrate their accomplishment. It's hard. Here's the other thing, though. You want to know how to get, you want to know how to get people to stop bat-flipping? Get them out. My God, that's like, isn't that the most abstract concept in the world? Get the hitter out. Isn't that insane? All you have to do is just be competitive and make good quality pitches. Now look, if a guy, if a guy hits a pitch that's just nasty or you spot a fastball up perfectly on the outside corner, and the dude just hits a home run somehow, that's one thing. That's one thing. But if you, if you throw a fastball down the middle of the plate, or you hang a breaking ball, or you leave a change up flat up in the zone, and a guy hits it a really long way, and he celebrates, that's on you. Because you're the one that made the bad pitch. So here's how you fix that. Make better pitches. 
Make better quality pitches. Get hitters out. And when you get hitters out, you take away their reason for celebrating. It's called competing. It's competitiveness. It's that fire that you need to have on the mound every single time you go out. That fire that I'm going to outpitch you. I'm going to make better pitches. And I'm going to do everything in my power to take away your reason for celebration. That's my thing. Like, I just don't understand it. I don't understand these pitchers being giant babies about this. Like, flip that around. Flip it around. Chris Archer is notorious for when he was good, at least. Chris Archer was notorious for striking dudes out and, and like, you know, dancing and pumping his fist and celebrating and all that stuff. You know who else does that too? Marcus Stroman. Yeah, do you remember in the World Baseball Classic when Marcus Stroman was pitching a shutout and he came off the mound and struck out a dude and he shimmied? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look that up. So if pitchers can celebrate and hitters don't get pissed off about it, then why can't hitters celebrate? You can't have this kind of a double standard where pitchers are allowed to celebrate for striking out major league hitters for which they have a huge advantage over. And then when the other thing happens, when it's the other way around, where the success rate is so, is, is so astronomically low for these major league hitters that they get one and they celebrate and all of a sudden, you're pissed off. Here's an idea. Get them out. Take away their reason for celebrating. It's competing, man. Nothing bothers me more on this earth. Like, honestly, it just makes no sense to me. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. <sighs> all right, that's my, that, that's, my, that's my fired up rant for the day. Um... So last topic I want to touch on, this is, this is my first show, so this first show is just going to be, it's going to be relatively shorter, more of an introduction show on my part. Um, so I want to get into the NFL, and um, I just want to get into hard knocks real quick. just want to touch on that before I touch on something different, because I am so incredibly excited to watch the Oakland Raiders on hard knocks. Like, like I was excited for Cleveland last year. Like, that was so dope. But, like, the Raiders? John Gruden? Antonio Brown? Vontez Perfect? Richie Incognito? Dude, that's going to be so much fun, man. That's going to be so much fun. And what's crazy to me is that Out of all of the teams that could have been on Hard Knocks, so there were like a couple of choices. The, the Raiders could have been, the Raiders obviously are on Hard Knocks. Um, the Giants, the New York Giants could have been on Hard Knocks. That wouldn't have been very interesting to me, honestly. Um, the only thing that I really would have been interested in to see at is like just watching Daniel Jones on live camera. Maybe that's it. Watching Saquon Barkley because he's just an absolute monster. Um... But what's crazy is that the Raiders are going into this with three of like the most volatile personalities like in the NFL. Antonio Brown is a certified diva and crybaby and spoiled brat. Vontez Perfect is like a headhunter. 
Like that dude is like, I, I swear, I swear that the mafia is paying this dude to be a hitman in the NFL. Like he just goes for blood every single time. And listen, I like it when guys play hard in the NFL. I love hard tackling. I love aggressive, competitive defense. But there's a difference between that and what Vontez Burfecht does. I swear that Vontez Burfecht is a hitman. And Richie Incognito is just an absolute nut. Like, that dude's crazy. Richie Incognito is a psycho and a borderline racist. Maybe not even a borderline racist. Just a racist. And a bully. Y'all remember that bullying scandal with Jonathan Martin back on the Dolphins? Never seen anything like that in my life. A grown man accusing a grown man of bullying. Like, that's crazy. That's some middle school stuff right there. But if I can make one absolute guarantee for Hard Knocks, other than that, it's going to be incredibly interesting. The one guarantee that I'm going to make. Any one of these three players, whether it is with themselves, amongst themselves, or whether it is with another teammate, Antonio Brown, Richie Incognito, and Vontez Burfecht will be involved in at least one fight that will be caught on camera. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's Vontez Burfecht and Antonio Brown. And the reason why I say that is because a few years ago, you guys might remember this, um, it was actually the game that Ryan Shazier got hurt, where um, Vontez Burfecht just absolutely clotheslined, clotheslined Antonio Brown. Just knocked his block off. Went for blood. Like, honestly, I'm pretty sure that Vontez Burfecht's intention was to snap his neck. Seriously. And I still feel like there's bad blood there. Because it's not even just, it's not even just the fact that Vontez Burfecht went for blood. It's a division, it was a division rivalry as well. Cincinnati and, and Pittsburgh at the time. So, combine the adrenaline... And the hatred of a division rivalry from years past with violent with a violent dude in Vontez Perfect, an absolute diva in Antonio Brown, and the past of yo, this brother tried to snap my neck. I think something's brewing there. Or I could also see Richie Incognito and Vontez Perfect getting into a fight. I mean, those are two, first of all, those are two of the biggest dudes on the damn field. Like, my God. I can't even imagine what that fight would look like. It'd be like a WWE match. But, Vontez Perfect is an aggressive, wild uh, headhunter. And Richie Incognito is just an asshole. A racist, psychopathic asshole. I feel like those two are going to fight. And I think Hard Knocks is going to be so much fun. I can't wait to watch it. Cannot wait to watch it. Um, so my last thing for me, last thing for the day, um, is I want to talk about I, I want to talk about the Carson Wentz extension. Damn, that's a lot of money. <laughs> Woo! My God. So for those of you that don't know, Carson Wentz signed an extension. With the Philadelphia Eagles. And Carson Wentz's ex extension is absolutely massive. It's absolutely massive. He's it's a four-year, 
$132 million extension, which also includes an NFL record $104 million guaranteed. Like, damn, that's crazy. But the other thing about this is it's, it's not just the fact that this deal is absolutely insane. And first of all, it's the right choice. It's absolutely the right choice. I don't want to hear about, I, I don't want to hear about Nick Foles. I don't want to hear it. Okay, Nick Foles brought them a Super Bowl, and he was good. He was solid, okay? He was a great quarterback for the, for the playoffs, both when they won a Super Bowl and last year. He was very solid. But I don't want to hear all this crap that Nick Foles is better than Carson Wentz, because he's not, okay? He's just not. Carson Wentz is too talented. Carson Wentz a couple of years ago was the surefire NFL MVP before he got hurt. And even last year when it was a quote-unquote down year for Carson Wentz, he still completed upwards, he still completed 69% of his passes. In fact, I actually went to take a look. I actually wanted to compare something. And um, what I found was, is that through 11 games, through 11 games, Carson Wentz's numbers were similar to that of Tom Brady's the year that he won his MVP a couple of years ago when it should have been Carson Wentz. I mean, that's just amazing to me. But what this deal really does is it also sets up Dak Prescott of the Cowboys. So pretty much, what, pretty much what's happening here is the Philadelphia Eagles are throwing the lob up to the Dallas Cowboys. Yo, this is the market. This is the market for these quarterbacks now. Huge money. And the Dallas Cowboys are going to have to make a decision. Whether they want to be, whether they want to meet the market. Or they want to meet their personal expectations for Dak. Listen, if it was me, I wouldn't pay Dak $30 million. I would give him probably more somewhere around 22, 23. And there's a couple reasons behind that. Number one, I want enough money to be able to pay my other guys. You need to pay Ezekiel Elliott. You need to eventually pay Amari Cooper. Jalen Smith. Byron, uh, Byron Jones, the corner. Probably going to need to pay some of your offensive linemen. So you need cap space for that. So I don't want his money dominating the books in that sense, but I also just don't think he's really that great of a quarterback. Sure, he makes, decent, he's, he makes good decisions with the football for the most part. He's decently accurate. But Dak, is li- Dak has limited arm talent. He's not super accurate throwing the ball over the top. Over the top, long passes, deep down the field. He's not wildly accurate in that sense. I just don't think Dak is... Like, Dak is a franchise quarterback, but I don't find him to be an elite quarterback. Which is why I don't put him in that category of, we need to pay this dude a load of money. But the problem is now is that Carson Wentz got all this money. And the Cowboys are super high on Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones loves him. So they're probably going to end up paying Dak Prescott that money. But I think this is setting... I I don't like where this is going for the Dallas Cowboys. Because I think they're going to end up overpaying Dak Prescott. And like I said, Dak Prescott, decent quarterback. To me, he's like a C plus, B minus type of quarterback. He'll win you games. 
He'll get you to the playoffs. Do I ever think he's going to win a Super Bowl? I don't think so. It's very. It's not very often that you win Super Bowls with, you know, average quarterbacks. The last one you can really, the last one you can really remember, Trent Dilfer with the Ravens. That's like about it. And maybe you could argue Nick Foles. Maybe, but Nick Foles is a solid NFL starter. That's the thing. Nick Foles is better than Dak Prescott. It's just interesting because this type of thing happens all the time. Where these court you set up the market with guys who are truly deserving of that market value. Carson Wentz, for example. Uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle. And then what ends up happening is is that these teams get so afraid of losing a franchise quarterback that you just, you got to pay him. You got to snap on it and pay him. Even if he's, even if he's not that great, you got to pay the guy. You know, Matt Stafford is, Matt Stafford is one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. Never won a playoff game. He's not that, he's a, he's a, he's a solid quarterback. He's not great. He's not insanely elite. Matt Ryan. Sure, he went to a Super Bowl a couple years ago. Sure, he won an NFL MVP a few years ago. But what's been the thing here? The moment they lost Kyle Shanahan, and Kyle Shanahan went to the San Francisco 49ers to take that head coaching job, Matt Ryan has not generally been the same quarterback. He's been good, but he hasn't been great. So you set the market with these high-level you know, high elite guys, and then all of a sudden, these, these franchises who, you know, they have even, even a, a, an average franchise quarterback want to pay these guys elite money. And I don't think Dak Prescott deserves elite money. Do I think he, I, I would probably, like I said, I would probably pay him about $22, $23 million. I would not go anywhere near the 28 to 30 range, especially not over, especially not over 30, bro. Like that would just be, that would just be nuts. That would just be absolutely nuts. All right, well, that is so. That is my show for the day. Um, really hope you like it. Keep tuning in. Uh, I plan on making. I plan on making a podcast every week. Um, obviously, there's going to be more content. This is just the first show, so we're just touching on a few things for right now. Um, but certainly, I would like to add more content to the show. Um, you know, get the word out to your friends. I, I really wanna I really wanna make this grow. I would really like to have this be something that, you know, can reach a lot of people. So we'll we'll see. But that that's my show for the day. Thank you guys so much uh for listening. And um y'all have y'all have a great weekend and I'll see y'all soon.